Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Chris James, 30 years of career experience, currently a captain on Tower 1 for Denver Fire Department in Colorado, and a division chief of training for Eaton Fire, also in Colorado. Chris started his fire service experience young at 21. Upon graduation from the academy, Chris was fortunate to ride for some busy companies such as Engine 11, Engine 1, Rescue 1, which was citywide until 2018, and Rescue 2 was formed, followed by his current assignment, Tower 1. Although Chris is a captain and a training chief, when you hear him talk, you can tell his roots of always being a firefighter first is a delight to hear. Chris loves staying busy and, of course, going to fires. With that, I present Mr. Chris James. All right. Hello. My name is Chris James, uh, firefighter captain with the Denver Fire Department and division chief of training with the Eaton Fire Department, both located in Colorado. I got into the fire service back in 1994. Uh, really, I started as an EMT basic in 1993 and then got hired by Denver in 1994. I've uh, been there over 29 years. Uh, currently, I'm a captain on Tower One located in downtown. Uh, prior to that, I spent the last 20 years working on Rescue One and Rescue Two in Denver as a backstep fireman, uh, engineer, and then as a company officer on our heavy rescue. Okay. All right. Um, do you have any other family members within the fire service? Yeah. My brother, he's a deputy chief in Pasadena, California. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so I take it, uh, besides your brother, a a anybody else? No, my sister's an emergency room doctor. So basically we just come from a, a line of people that have dedicated their lives to serving in different capacities. Okay. Okay. Um, is your brother older or younger? He's younger than me. Okay. So he, possibly just followed in your footsteps of course i taught him everything he knows <laughs> all right all right um so uh man i'm really uh amazed by the apparatuses that you've been on with denver because um anybody any, any fire nerds out there will know denver's a busy fire department and um, the three apparatus that you listed are definitely uh, very busy um, trucks. So when you came out of the academy, well, first off, how did how did you choose Denver? I grew up in Denver, so I'm a native of Denver. I grew up by the old airport. Um, and so being a Colorado native, you know, I didn't really didn't really look anywhere else for the, the fire service and, and people will hate me, but I, I got on the job, my first test. So I've pretty much been blessed my entire career as far as getting on and then getting a pretty choice assignments along the way. Okay. Okay. Um, now when you got out of recruits class, I'm, I'm assuming you, you definitely had, did you do a recruit class back then? Oh, absolutely. It was a four or five month long fire academy. 
Okay. And when you, when you graduated, did you go straight into the rescue trucks or were you on an engine first? No. So when I got off of probation, I was assigned to engine 11, which is a very busy downtown engine company. Uh, the lieutenant I worked for, he had promoted two lieutenant from the rescue and uh, getting detailed over to the rescue early on. That was a, a place that I wanted to work. So I left engine 11 and transferred to engine one to get on the uh, dive team because engine one's part of the dive team with the rescue company. And uh, I worked there for about four and a half years before I finally I was transferred over to, to the rescue. So early on in, in my career, probably with, I would say a year, year and a half on the job, I knew I wanted to work on the rescue. And so everything that I did was to uh, get, get over to the rescue. Uh, that being said, you know, I am a truckie and I, I do truck work and that's, that's what I've done for the bulk of my career. But in order to be a good truckman, you got to understand the, the engine and, how the engine works because our job's taking care of that engine. Oh, no, definitely agreed. Agreed a hundred percent. For those that don't know, I almost had a brain fart there. For those that don't know, can you tell us about Denver fire department? Uh, how many stations, uh, amount of personnel, uh, call wise, things of that nature. Oh, absolutely. So Denver fire department, uh, we have 40 stations, uh, five of those stations are out at the airport. Uh, DIA is the third busiest airport in the world, and the the land size of that airport alone is is a pretty big footprint. So there's five uh, stations out at the airport. Uh, the other 35 stations across the city. Uh, we pretty much run the 36 engines. 16 truck companies, two heavy rescues, uh, call volume wise, I think we ran about 157,000 last year. Uh, it's a two tier system with EMS. So uh, we're a BLS fire department, uh, Denver Health, the Denver Paramedic Division, they handle ALS transport and, and care. Uh, we run four person staffing on each one of our apparatus. Uh, Cities divided up into what we refer to as districts that are the equivalents of battalions, and there's six districts, and so each one of those districts has an assigned uh, district chief to them. Okay, okay. And um, uh, is the district chief kind of like the battalion chief? Yes, they're the battalion chief. Okay, gotcha. Okay, because I, I, every fire department uses different. Uh, uh, terminology um, on a uh, residential box alarm. What does Denver drop on a residential structure fire? We're going to send two engines, two trucks, a heavy rescue, and then a rapid intervention company, which usually is going to be another truck company. And then you'll get two chiefs and a shift commander along with a, uh, ALS ambulance and an ALS supervisor. Okay. See, so, uh, just so I uh, got this right, you did say two engines and two trucks. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, 
And as far as um, the work is, um, are Denver's trucks true trucks or can they, if needed, pump water or, you know, do fire suppression work? No, in our system, our trucks are dedicated truck companies, so they do not carry hose or water, and they don't function as an engine unless there would be some extreme circumstances that somehow they ended up on a hand line. But our engines do engine work, our trucks do truck work, and then our heavy rescues uh, primarily do truck work, but occasionally they can end up on a, on a hand line. Okay. Okay. And you did say you have two heavy rescues. I'm assuming it's probably divided. Uh, uh, they, they, you know, they divide the Denver area. Um, I'm assuming they respond to anything structure related, rescue related, uh, entrapments, pin-ins, and of course, working fires, correct? Yes, that's correct. And okay. we opened up rescue two back in 2018. So, Prior to 2018, we only had one heavy rescue in that that company went citywide. And so citywide wow. on every fire, uh, extrication, technical rescue, uh, and any special call. Okay. Okay. So prior to 2018, rescue one was citywide. And were you on that truck at that time? Yes, I was assigned on rescue one. And it was citywide from... Uh, 2002 to basically 2018 up until they opened up the second heavy. Okay. Um, uh, and, and it's okay if you, if you don't, if you can't remember, but while on that apparatus as the only heavy rescue in the city, what would be a typical call volume and what was the most that you can remember? I'd say call volume wise. I think that at our peak, we're probably running over 3000 calls a year um and there there were days where you know slower days maybe the fires we were going to were were small and, and you know potentially controlled prior to us getting there so not a lot of work and then there were other days where we were doing two or three good working fires citywide so it just uh, depended okay okay and um uh your work schedule what does Denver work? Uh, we work a two Kelly schedule. So we work 24 on, 48 off with a, an assigned day off. Okay. So so 24, 48, and then is it pretty much like every third day you're working? It's just a, a recycled 24, 48? Yeah, except for your your day off that you get. So you'll, you'll work your every third day and then Day you have a Thursday, you never work on Thursday. Okay. okay. That's your Kelly day. Okay. Understood. Understood. All right. Um, so with you being a uh it's actually perfect. It's a it's a really good question for you because at, at one agency you're you're a line officer, a captain, and then the other agency you're a division chief of training. So my question to you is what does the term aggressive mean to you? Well, aggressive in general, if, if we're talking operationally, that means, you know, getting on scene quick and having a good sense of urgency, good tempo and, and getting in there, sizing it up and, and getting getting to work, you know. Um, aggressive is also in, in how you go about your training. And so being aggressive, you're going to have to have a good 
training culture. Uh, you're going to train train the way you're going to go out and operate operationally. So kind of hand in hand, you know, if you're seeing deficiencies operationally, we're going to go back and train on those. And then when we're doing that training, if we see deficiencies, we're going to fix that training so that we're constantly prepared to go out the door and provide the best service delivery that we can. Okay. All right. Um, with you starting as a backstep uh, at Denver and now being a captain, uh, at what point in your career did you uh, decide I'm gonna I'm gonna take the next steps and uh, work your way up to captain? Because I actually I should have asked how your rank structure works, but uh, when did you decide like okay I'm ready I'm ready to move up to that fright uh, to that fright right front seat? Well, I'll, I'll answer both for you. My rank structure, we have firefighters, and then we also have technicians, and then we have engineers, lieutenants, captains, and then our assistant chief. Uh, an assistant chief is basically the equivalent of a, a battalion chief. And then above that, we have the shift commander, and then division chief, a deputy chief in the chief of the department as far as my career uh, i started on the back step uh, once i went to engine one and worked on the back step of a rescue one i was a technician a rescue technician and then i took the engineer's test and promoted the engineer and stayed on the rescue where i drove rescue one for for 10 years citywide um, so when i finally decided to to take a promotional test it was really because a couple of guys that I worked with on the rescue decided that they were going to take a promotional test. And so we kind of just took it together so that we could study and work together. Uh, those guys got promoted first and then I got promoted uh, towards the end of that, that list. Um, you know, I had 20 years on as a fireman and as an engineer before I was promoted to Lieutenant. So I think I, was probably ready for a new challenge and and that's probably why I took the uh lieutenant test um prior to that I was pretty blessed and, and pretty happy you know being a a firefighter and and an engineer okay no that's that's um I love hearing I love hearing when when uh individuals and I mean it, it, everyone's different but anytime you hear the fact that before you went to the officer's position, you had 10 years as a backstep and 10 years as a driver. So you you were able to fill every role and know every role uh, before getting promoted. Um, so, I mean, the, to me, like that, that's that's a, that's awesome. That's a testament to your to your to your career path and and making sure that you wanted to know which what each job entailed. Correct. And I mean. You know, for me, I mean, I got hired when I was 21. So getting hired at a at a super young age, you know, I, I really wasn't in a rush to to promote. And you know, I wanted to have the the experience for having a good foundation in order to to be a company officer. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility as a company officer, and if you don't have that good solid foundation, I think you know, it, it lends to not being a good 
company officer due to the lack of knowledge or lack of experience. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. Um, as the as the role of engineer on the rescue, um, so my question to you is, um, did you have to learn, which I'm sure, I'm sure you, you definitely learned your first due area, but responding citywide, uh, at that time or still to this time, does Denver utilize like, do, do you guys have map books? Do you have, uh, some sort of alerting system on your phone that gives you, uh, turn by turn directions or is it solely on the officer? That's a good question. So historically, uh, when our guys come on, they have to, uh, learn city information when they're in the fire Academy and when they're on probation, they're tested on that part of that process is being tested on how you have to memorize the street rotation in each direction um again being a native of the city you know i knew denver pretty pretty well prior to getting on um but i promoted to engineer on the rescue it was easy for me to drive being a native of the city but also my side job uh, back in the day was working on the ambulance. So I am a, a certified paramedic and my side job basically from, oh, the mid nineties up until really uh, 2022, I also worked as a, as a paramedic for the, for the city ambulance. Um, so I knew the city like the back of my hand. So for me, it was super easy. Uh, the way it is now, we do have map books in all of the rigs, and then we have MDTs that have maps. But the, the general ex expectation for people that are driving, whether they're an engineer or an actor, is to basically have a good idea on, on where they're going. And so you're going to have to memorize that, that rotation. Now, on the rescue, if we were going to parts of the city that we didn't venture into that often, uh, we would have guys looking in that map book just to make sure you know we didn't make a a wrong turn and that we got there judiciously okay okay that's awesome awesome all right um the uh back then was it a walk-in rescue because i know i know denver has i'm pretty sure it's a walk-in but i think it's also a a a, a four-door cab so w w was it always like that yeah it's uh, the very, very first rescue I went to was a half walk-in, half walk-around. It was a, a Seagrave rescue. But uh, since 2002, all of our rescues have been walk-in rescues. They do have the, the four-door cab, but uh, true walk-in. So you can go in, in and out through that back door, use the side doors, if, if you will. Okay. All right. And a minimum of four, four, I mean, it's assigned for a minimum of four for the rescues. Uh, all of our companies are four person staffing 24 seven. All of them. Okay. Uh, so, so our engines have four, our trucks have four and our rescues have four people assigned. Uh, people assigned on the rescue are all rescue technicians. And if you're assigned on that rescue company, uh, you have to be trained in, in every one of the technical rescue disciplines. 
So that's going to encompass dive, swift water, con space, collapse, trench, hazmat, rope. Okay. I, I was actually thinking to myself, uh, if you guys did hazmat. So it's, it's, it's also, so if you're on the rescue, of course you have to be a jack of all trades, but it also crossbreeds between rescue and hazmat. Uh, no, we, we have a desert, we have a hazmat house that they cross staff our hazmat rig, our hammer. Okay, um, gotcha. The rescue's job on the rescue's job on hazmat is to go in with the entry teams and just provide line of sight rescue. So there okay. are techs, but they don't, they don't do any of the uh, hazmat mitigation. Okay. Okay. Understood. Understood. All right. Um, my next question for you. Uh, your opinion only, should there be a years of service clause for promotion? Yes, I, I, I think so. And I, I think this is, this is kind of my thought on it. And again, this is my opinion. You know, I think years and years ago, fire service hired younger people. So the majority of guys coming on the job were probably in their early twenties. And so they were getting the experience prior to them promoting. I think fire service has sort of changed on how we do our hiring process. And so I'll just use my fire academy as, a, as an example. The average age in my academy class was 31. I was 21 at the time. So part of the problem in the fire service when we're hiring some of these older guys is that they're promoting quicker, but they're not spending the time learning the job prior to. So I think you do need to have that requirement. I, I think it's not unreasonable that you have 10 years right on the back step before you promote to, to engineer or officer. I think that's, that's fair because I think that's going to give you a good foundation prior to. I also think that once you uh, promote into that officer role that you should again have some time as a lieutenant and as a captain prior to uh promoting to a, a chief level i i have to agree with you there i mean i know some some might not agree with it i mean of course everyone's entitled to their opinion but i i believe you should spend some time in each role before you allowed before you are allowed to go to the next position i i i 100 firmly agree with your answer on that um, yeah, and I mean, the unfortunate thing, if you look at, uh, across the fire service, when we're, we're looking at issues that are happening in the fire service, a lot of these issues are, are because we have people in leadership roles that they, they don't have the foundation, they don't have the experience to, to manage the job and, and, and manage and, and, and lead people, you know, and I think you know, you could make the argument that if you worked in a in a super busy, busy system that you're catching a lot of a lot of work and a lot of runs that you know, maybe you don't need as much time in the seat before promoting. But I think if you look at it globally, we need guys that understand every facet of the job before they're moving into these leadership positions and making decisions for people based off of, you know, fire service which is a it's, everything we do is on the job so if you've never done it on the job 
it's just theory until then. It's like playing sports unless you've been in a game playing where it counts. Can't really say you played. Agreed. 100% agreed. Definitely, definitely agree with you on there. Um, <clears throat> with um, uh, with you being on for pretty much 30 years, what changes have you seen since your start at 1994 to now of 2024? And it could be on both realms because you get to see, you get, you kind of get the best of both worlds because in one one department, you are a line officer still on the truck, still with the guy, still acting as a firefighter, even though you're a captain. And on the other side, you are a division chief where you, granted, you're a division chief of training, but you're still up there where you can kind of see things that most firemen don't see that aren't in that rank, if you, if you get what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the the biggest changes that I've seen in the fire service would, would be, you know, the, the introduction of the, the thermal imaging camera. Well, I think that that was a, a major change in the fire service that allows us to actually operate a lot more aggressively on the fire ground. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I think another big change in the fire service was, how we sort of look at data and, and I'd say that that big change has happened over the last couple of years with the uh, firefighter rescue survey, because that really quantifies what we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that if we're looking globally, just on emergency services, I think a, a, a big thing, and I don't necessarily say it's a change, but I think it's something that, in the fire service we need to really start taking a, a bigger look at is a active shooter and, and what the expectation from the public is from their police departments as it pertains to active shooter and then also body cameras and, and, and cameras in general you know we got to be able to justify what what we're doing because the video doesn't lie so guys got to they got to train and they got to operate aggressive because that's what taxpayer expects. If they're expecting it from the police department to show up and mitigate problems, that that same expectation is there for the fire service. And so we have to put the, the citizens first in every decision that, that we make. And I say that because I think we trained it in the fire service, you know, in 2002, 2003 of this kind of firefighter first mentality, firefighter safety, taking the forefront and putting the citizens, you know, behind that. And that's, that's totally wrong. Our job is to take care of the citizen when they, when they call 911 and from a training perspective or a company officer perspective, we have to make sure our people can show up and take care of their problems right now without hesitation. Um, yes, Steph, yes, definitely. You're talking, talking straight facts on that. I love it. Um, uh, what is a typical day like for you as a company officer? I mean, because the company officer pretty much sets the tone for the crew and for the shift. So um, if you can uh, walk us through what, what a typical day uh of uh, of being an officer on one of the busiest trucks 
in in the Denver Fire Department? Uh, a typical day, and and I just kind of use this as a company officer in general. I'll, I'll talk about my tower that that I work on and the guys that I work with, but I also talk about you know when I was assigned as a company officer on on the rescue and and basically building that heavy rescue from 2018 to. 2022 when I when I promoted off the biggest thing is is that the most important person on the on the the, the fire truck or the apparatus is actually the the senior firefighter that's that's the most important person uh, the company officer falls in second on that and I say that they're a, a second importance because you're absolutely right they do set the tone for the company but if we're building our company building our crew building our team you know that senior fireman that's that's the guy that's gonna you know score the touchdowns and do the work so as a company officer it's my job to position that senior firefighter and those back step firefighters for success and so that's really how i operate as a company officer is that my job is to take care of the guys on the back step you lead them in and manage the company and then you know the engineer you know we work together as a team and i think the the best way to do that is to approach it from from that standpoint so a typical day you know come in uh, check my equipment get ready uh, i i believe no matter what apparatus that you work on when when you get to work you should expect to to go to fires you should expect to go to cut jobs and you should expect to run critical medical calls because those are all things that you potentially are going to do throughout that shift so you need to have that that mindset so getting getting myself in service checking my scba checking all my equipment checking my radio making sure my batteries are full checking the tick and then Doing that handoff, talking to guys, talking to guys on the crew, getting a pulse on how guys are feeling, and then you know let's set that day up for for what we need to do. And I think the biggest thing as a company officer is you got to have good time management skills, and so you got to start things early. And the busier of a company that you're in, you really got to start early on getting those things knocked out because day can get away from you pretty quick i think the other thing is is take care of the guys the guys are the most important thing the equipment and the apparatus that's the next most important thing and then taking care of the fire sir, firehouse that would be third on my list so my priorities are just making sure that my guys are good and that they're taken care of and that we're ready to go out the door and do what we need to do and tones go off i love it i love your mindset i I truly do i truly love your mindset because unfortunately you know we have some some individuals out there as as line officers that don't see don't put the crew first they kind of put themselves first and then the crew after them and then they also look at it as you know the crew has to do for for the supervisor, not what the supervisor has to do for the crew. So it is anytime I, I hear uh, uh, a line officer speak with the way with the caliber that you're speaking, man, I, I just have to say thank you because uh, it's kind of a lost art. Um, a lot of a lot of office or 
there are some officers out there that that don't see it that way. It's it's their way or the highway, and uh, so I just I just had to had to uh, give you your flowers on that one. Uh, I appreciate that, but I think you know I am a company officer, but really at the end of the day, I'm a fireman and I'm just part of the team. And yeah, within that team, everybody has different roles and responsibilities at times. But again, we're we're a team, and so in order for us to have those successes, we got to operate like that. And you know. It's that team mentality. That's where you're going to have success. And as a company officer, you know, if you, that, that is your job, taking care of the guys. If you don't understand that, you know, I, I, I don't know. You're not going to have those successes. Uh, no, firmly agreed. 100%, 100% agreed with you there. Um, uh, with you coming in at 21 and you have 30 years on the job, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to assume you're, you're 51, 52. Uh, don't age me, man. I'm 50. 50. Okay. 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 <laughs> apologies. Apologies. So you're 50. You're on one of the busiest trucks in Denver. I'm sure power one sees plenty of action at, you know, on, on all different in all different realms of the fire service in different categories. My question to you is uh, how big the, how big of a role does physical fitness play? Because we all know as we, as we go through the years in the fire service, we're getting older and the firemen, uh, the fire service is a young man or woman's game. So uh, how important is physical fitness for you? Well, you, you got to understand yourself. And you know your capabilities and, and your limitations. I think the fitness aspect is a, a, a big part of, of what we do. So we need to stay physically fit and mentally fit. I think the other thing is is that you know when you, when you have these young guys that that work with you and work for you, you know, utilize them to work smarter, not harder. But you know, that stuff doesn't get any lighter. It gets heavier. It gets harder to do as you progress in age. And so I think the big thing when you're really looking at that fitness is you do got to stay fit. Um, I was lucky. I, I played sports since I was a, a child. So I understand that and understand how my, how my body works. But I also think when young guys, and, and I'll say this from the, the, the training chief in me, is that when guys are really harping on fitness, 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 and you're talking to a bunch of 20-year-olds, the conversation that you always got to remind them is, hey, one day you're going to be 40, 50 years old. So uh -huh. Uh -huh. these things that you can do at 20, you're not going to be doing at 40 or 50. And so you want to have a, a good playing field on, on, on how that really, really looks. And so it has to be tempered. Okay. No, I like it. All right. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Cause I, I used to be one of those individuals that, you know, I, I remember the, the, the senior, most senior members would be like, Hey, you won't be like this forever. You won't, you know, you're, you're only young once. And I'd always shrug it off and wouldn't hear it. But now I know exactly what they were talking about and what you're talking about for sure. Um, so yes. Um, 
it, it goes by well, fast. You know, it does. And, and you also got to remember a, a lot of our, our stuff is finesse and it's technique. And so if you understand finesse and, and technique, it's going to allow you to do some things for a longer, a longer period of time. You know, the other thing is, is, you know, as a firefighter, you are an occupational athlete. So you got to take care of yourself. But part of that is, is that you can't take a, you can't beat yourself up at an early age. Otherwise you're not going to have longevity. And I mean, everybody's different, but I mean, I've worked with guys over the years that were big time CrossFit guys that, you know, in their forties were, they're injured and they, they, they can't do the job. And so you have to take that into account as well. So if you understand how to do things correctly, that's going to give you longevity. Definitely agreed on that. <laughs> um, uh, my, my next topic is realistic training on a small budget. So I'm not sure what the training budget is for Eaton Fire, but how, and definitely with your experience, how, with your experience and being a training chief for that department, how do you bring realistic training in for your members of Eaton Fire? Wow. And Eaton Fire, and, and I've been up here as the, the training chief since 2015, and, and I work with very, very good people up here in Eaton. What we've done from a training perspective is, is that we've created operational training. Everything that we do from a training perspective is to benefit our operational service delivery. So how we do that with a smaller budget, if you will, is, is number one, you have to budget for training. And so these chiefs that cut, cut training and it's not a priority, you're not going to have good service delivery. You're not. You have to invest in your people. On, on all levels. And so I'm blessed up here in Eaton because we have a, a budget and we're able to do that. Uh, one of the biggest things and how we do provide great training and, and we're able to be fiscally responsible is, is that, you know, we built two uh, burn props out of Connex boxes. So we have a, a two story seven Connex box burn prop that has five burn rooms in it. And then we have a, a five story, uh, 10 box tower that has burn rooms on three and four with a internal stand pipe, internal stairs, external stairs. And so by building these two props, doing live fire on a regular basis, we're able to provide great hands-on training that the guys look, look forward to. I mean, we do live fire training up in Eaton, at a minimum, these guys are getting live fire quarterly, if not more. Okay. Um, is Eaton a uh, a career full-time department? Yeah, when I started up here, it was a combination. But over the years, we've uh, transitioned into its uh, full-time career department. And then we do have some part-time paid firefighters that come in that are all affiliated with with other uh, fire departments. Okay, okay. Uh, and with you being the, the the training chief, what is what is your go-to topic? Like, what is your niche in the fire service uh, in regards to teaching others? 
Uh, my niche is probably uh, auto extrication. I teach all over uh, teaching auto extrication. So, I mean, that's my main two thing that I instruct. Um, but, I mean, coming up, I mean, as a, as a line paramedic, you know, working on an ambulance, we're constantly instructing, you know, EMTs, new paramedics. Uh, medical students, new physicians, uh, field training, new paramedics. If we transition that under the fire side, I mean, I am a scuba diver instructor. So, I mean, I've taught public safety diving on the fire department, the extrication, and then just overall training on how to build that crew where we have those successes as a crew. But, yeah, I like to cut cars. That's my main thing. Okay. All right. I mean, everybody's got to have something out there. I could say I, I don't have a vast experience in that. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's understood. I just wanted to ask. Um, with you also being a training chief, do you allow your members uh, to, to attend outside training, outside conferences? If so, do you encourage that? Oh, <clears throat> I, I more than encourage and it's almost a, uh, it's my goal to send every one of my guys to FDTN oh. in Indiana. <laughs> yes, sir. Jim so, McCormack. Yeah. So, I mean, I see value in sending guys all over the country to training. I go to conferences across the country because there's value in that. There's value in seeing what other guys are doing, networking with other guys, but then making sure, hey, are we doing things that are, that are best practice and can we bring that? or parts of that back and, and implement that, whether we're down in the city or if we're up in, in Northern Colorado. So no, it's, it's all about sending guys out to train or bringing people in to, to provide that training. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do, uh, does Denver allow that? Because I mean, um, you guys have the mile high conference and little micro conferences within driving distance of the Colorado area. Yeah, um, you know, every place is different. What I would say is, you know, in, in, in Denver, you know, it's a, a large city and there are some politics involved in the large city. So having that funding to go out and do a lot of outside training, probably not as available as, as it is in, in smaller organizations. So okay. like for me coming up, and this is one thing that I'll always tell guys is that as I came up over the last you know, 29 years, there was a lot of things that I did on my own. So I'll use paramedic school as an example. I went to paramedic school on my day off. So I got trades. I paid for it. I did the clinicals, did everything on my day off because it was important for me to get that certification, even though I was never going to use it on the fire department because we're a BLS department. And so conferences, classes, stuff like that. You know, if the department's not going to pay for it, if you want to invest in yourself, then you know what, save a little money and, and go on your own. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to allow you to operate aggressive. And by operating aggressive and having that, that knowledge and whatnot, that's probably what's going to keep you safe in the long run. So if you don't have that, I encourage guys to go out and do that. If you do work for an organization that has deeper pockets that 
will send you places and take advantage of that. The more knowledge, the more education, the more hands-on training you can get your hands on, the, the better the better you're going to be. I 100% agree with that. That's awesome. All right. All right. Um, this, this topic uh, revolves recruitment and retention. Um, I'm assuming back in 94, when you applied for Denver, I'm sure there was a large pool applicant compared to now. So uh, your opinion only, what do you think the fire service can do to get those numbers back up if possible? Well, I mean, you're right. When I came on in 94, the test that I took, you know, 4,000 people for 40 jobs. Wow. Yeah. Those numbers, yeah. those numbers are down now, but I think here's the big thing. Do we want a large pool? Do we want a huge quantity of people applying or do we want quality applying? I think the big thing that we really got to look at in the fire service is a, are we hiring quality individuals? Are we retaining quality individuals? And then are we promoting quality individuals? And so if you are hiring the right people, retaining the right people, promoting the right people, you're going to create the right culture that you're going to be able to retain people. And it's not going to be an issue of people leaving the fire service. I also think that things go in cycle. And when you look at <clears throat> society right now, there's still young guys that, that want to come into the fire service. You just got to get those guys. There's going to be a lot of other people that fire service or public safety in general doesn't really interest them. And so they're not going to apply. So I think the, the way that we get quality individuals is from a recruitment standpoint is, is that where are we recruiting at? And so if we want to get quality individuals from a recruiting standpoint, we should be looking at guys that are coming out of the military. I think you should be looking at people that play collegiate sports because those people aren't necessarily going to become professional athletes, but they're going to be able to do the physical parts of our job. So we should be talking to those athletic directors and leaning in on those people. And then right now it's, it's unprecedented the amount of fire conferences that there are across the country. So from that recruiting standpoint, if I was a recruiter, I'd probably go to some of these conferences and talk to people and see if I could recruit them to my organization if I was really hurting for people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I mean, you're right. I mean, like I said, the, the amount of micro conferences that are popping up cadre member groups, full chapter groups that are out there. It's, it's definitely a, a good time. There is definitely an individual cannot say that there's not places or events that they can attend to go train whether or not if their department provides training, there's, there's so many opportunities now. Um, and like, this is a perfect example. Uh, and, and this is in no way, shape or form, uh, a jab at your, your, your senior ish status and age, but back, back then, uh, there wasn't podcasts. I believe talking to, from talking to other individuals, a lot of the information was was presented through magazines, correct? Magazines that were shipped weekly or monthly to 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 uh, different fire departments. But now we have podcasts where, through social media, I was able to 
uh, see your profile, read a little bit about you, reached out, and 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 here we are today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the social media really changed the fire service as far as creating that network, you know, globally that's allowed people to to meet and talk and communicate that unless you and I were at the same conference and ran into one another and struck up a conversation, we might, we might not know one another, you know? So I think that the social media aspect has, has been really good for the fire service on doing that and, and, and passing information and, and getting that out to people. And then, yeah, there's, there's something out there. It's not weekly or, monthly for for guys to go to so i mean if they're paying attention there's there's stuff out there and then again like the trade magazines you know fire engineering firehouse there's still really really good information in in those and so uh we should uh be, be taking advantage of everything that's out there no definitely agreed agreed 100 on that uh, my last question for you uh, with, I mean, it, to me, it, to me, it's a testament on the, on the different busy apparatuses that you've been on in your career. Uh, when, and this is a personal question, you don't really have to answer if you don't want to, but when, when do you plan on, on saying, okay, I, I've given, I've given enough back to the community that you were born and raised in. So like my question to you is when do you think you'll hang it up? Uh, who knows? I mean, here's the thing. I, I like being a fireman. I like the work that we do. I like going to work. I like working with the guys that I work with on my company. I also like being a training chief and developing young guys and, and building that out and then teaching and, and giving back. So, I mean, for me, you know, I, I still like what I do, so I don't see myself hanging it up anytime soon. Uh, as far as working on a, on a busy company, you know, I like to go to fires and I like to be busy. I, I don't like hanging out at the firehouse. <laughs> if it's slow, if it's slow, I, I get the guys and we get on the fire truck and we go drive around just because I like him being stuck in the firehouse like, like a prison sentence. So, you know, I'm not one of these guys that's ever wanted to work at a, at a slow shop. Um, just it's, it's not for me because the more you're out there running calls, every time you go on a call, whether it's, you know, a fire alarm, gas leak, EMS call, whatever, you're getting experience. So the more calls you run, more experience you're going to get. And so I, I like going out and having fun and going on calls is fun to me. So I love it. Love it. I'm telling you, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Because, you know, not, not many people, uh, you know, that everyone, everyone hits a certain point in their career where, you know, they might have started off at a slow station and then transitioned to a busy station. But as you get older, you know, some people just tend to want to wind it down a little bit before retirement. So they transfer back to a slow house or you meet individuals that have from the jump since their inception of getting into the fire service, 
They've been on busy companies and that's all they want to do. They don't mind if they get up five times after midnight. Like they always have a smile on, they, on their face and they enjoy it. So um, I, I just want, I, like I said, I, I got to give you your props because the trucks that you've been on are not slow companies. If anybody wants to do their research, uh, you can find out uh, the, the run status of, 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 of Denver Fire Department's uh, busiest apparatus. Yeah. No, I mean, I've been blessed and, you know, I, I've, I've been lucky to work in these busy spots and, you know, mentally and physically, I'm able to, you know, come in and, you know, not get burned out and I still like, like coming to work and doing the job. And I think, again, you know, there's times where you got to like look at things from different lenses and different perspectives in order, you know, stay optimistic and, and keep that smile. But, but at the end of the day, you know, we're here to, to serve the, the, the public and, and do a good job. And, you know, you've got good guys that you're, that you're working with, you know, it, 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 it's all about that, you know, and so why, why would I stop? Understood. Understood. Um, before we leave, is there anything else you want to, before we end this, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, any, any, cause you know, there, there's individuals out there who, who might be struggling, uh, who might be surrounded with a crew that's not as motivated as them that, you know, they just want to kind of sit around and just kind of hang out. Um, uh, so this is what I kind of call like, kind of like a shameless pug, but like if, if there's a message you want to, you, you, you want to, um, uh, uh, spread out to, to, to the others listening. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is, is that, you know, it, it's okay to want to be a good fireman and to be super into the job and highly motivated. And, you know, if you're at that low company or working with guys that aren't like that, you know, there's seek out that company or, and, and find those guys that are into the job that you can go and work with or, or work for, you know, and then it's okay. Also, if you work in an organization and you're not happy, it's okay to go work in another organization that's going to provide you what you need. And, and, and I tell guys this all the time, work on the fire company that suits you on what you want. So if you want to work at a busy place that has a good training culture and has hungry guys, that's the place that you should be trying to go if you want to work in a busy system that runs a lot of calls and that's the job you should should work for if you want to do something different that's okay too but you got to find what what works for you and there's going to be times where you're down and, and what i would say is just keep fighting the good fight but now in the fire service it's it's the best time to work as far as being able to get a job and, and move around. Everybody's hiring. So you can get on that job that suits you and you're probably going to be able to work in that firehouse that suits you. So you just got to do it. And I think sometimes people are afraid of taking risks or making a move. But if you don't do that, you're, you're, you're probably going to end up with regret and you're not going to be happy. So make, make the move and do what's best for you. 
And there's people out there in the fire service that have made these moves that you can reach out to, that they can help you, they can guide you, they can mentor you through that. But you, you got to do you. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy in the long run. I 100% agreed on that. Uh, uh, Chris, man, I, I I truly appreciate you accepting my invite, reading my message, and and replying back and, and scheduling this interview. It's been a fantastic time talking, listening uh, to your wise words um, regarding the fire service and, and, and all that it has, that it has. Uh, so I have to say thank you very much for, for accepting and coming on Talking Shop. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, very, very humbled that you reached out to me and wanted to hear me tell some lies. So I appreciate that. <laughs> You're a very humble guy. Um, but no, seriously, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.